Welcome to Darker Days Radio presents Dark Hammer, a Worlds of Warhammer podcast. Uh, I'm one of the regular hosts, Chris, and as always, I'm joined by David. Hello. Hello. And we're joined by Mike. Yo, how's it going? Pretty good. It's warm. Mm. It's very warm. Yeah, it's freaking hard out. Jeez. It's sweaty and humid. Um, So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about gene stealer cults. Uh, So we're going to really warn up front when we get into the main segment. It could get a little squicky because we're talking about uh, biology of how they reproduce. And we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts of that. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, let's talk about the. Let's do a little bit of a game update. Um, we've been running on on the Dark Days Radio stream. We've been running uh, Iron Kingdoms RPG. With I've been running it. Mike, you've been playing. We've had a new player yep. with Ian joining, who's been playing a protector. No, not a protector. A Menite um, priest slash swash uh, swordsman duelist swashbuckler. So he's kind of like a yep. musketeer from Ord. Um, oh, cool. Right now, you're chasing down a presumed serial killer, and your last time we left it, <clears throat> uh, Chris. I believe last time we left it, uh, I was assuming that it was a Gator Man that did it, and then we well, ended yeah. the episode in front of a bunch of Gator Men in the sewers. So clearly, my character was right the entire time, and uh, we're just going to prove that for the rest of the session. Yep, there's Gatesman. Um, so yeah, it's fun. Always it's going, going really well. Um, then. Um, as we record this, uh, Onyx PathCon is wrapping up. There was also Elysium, which was a World of Darkness con run by Renegade Games. There's lots of new announcements. Basically, just check our social media. There's some reprints of stuff with Arata in there, like the core book for Vampire. There's tons of new announcements. Sabat book, Second Inquisition. Sabat Jalut, which has like a cuneiform tablet. It's all pretty mental. So, yeah, there was a lot there. If you're new to World of Darkness, you can obviously check that out. Uh, more importantly, and on topic of stuff we're interested in, um, there's a new scenario series coming out for Wrath and Glory, which is looking at a particular kind of event <coughs> battle, but where each scenario will be for a different tier. So you look at the event from a different perspective. So you're grunts on the battlefield, and then you might be well-trained grunts, and then you might be like an inquisitor, etc., etc. You get the idea. Um, so that's new from Cubicle 7. Um, the Horned Rat is out um, mm, to buy on yeah. PDF uh, and to order, um, which is great because that's another book I've written on. Um, I wrote the entire end part of the scenario. So that's the... Um, there, there's a Skaven there's a Fortress and and a attempt to blow up the moon. Um, oh, incredible. Oh, I, I, that is, did you did you take some hints from maybe somewhere where we worked back in the two thousands, Chris, on that one? And what um, we may have built at some point. <laughs> a little, um, but that was. I mean, it's a discussion for another day, maybe. But it was <laughs> that was actually I, I wasn't told to write that. That was the plan. Um, mm. So that replaces uh, something rotten in Kislev as the fourth part of the Enemy Within campaign series. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, I was shocked to hear that, uh, that they were removing something rotten in Kislev and replacing it with a different scenario. Because, you know, old grognards like myself remember that uh, that one scenario that really just stood out as not fitting in at all yeah, to the rest exactly. of the, uh, just the vibe. Yeah, yeah, Kislev should not have been in that at all. So, Kislev um, could be, uh, just the way they wrote it made no sense. It was just this weird dungeon crawl in the middle of a uh, highly... 
uh, uh, you know, developing political scenario uh, in the empire. Yeah. So yeah, that's out. Um, yeah, it was very cool to write on. Um, and yeah, it does have references to a certain other thing that me and David helped build um, in Manchester many moons ago. Uh, many, many moons ago. Oh, it'll be about 2003. I think it's better. It'll be about 2001, 2002. It would um, be about 20 years ago. Um, yeah, so did it come my, before? I was in my after, second year. Yeah, did it come before after the scale model of... Um, no, I'm thinking of the scale model of um, Helm's Deep. <laughs> uh, it came before Helm's Deep. Was it before Helm's Deep? Oh, it Christ. before Helm's Deep. It was being built, I think, when I joined. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that that was fun. Um, and then also the really big, you know, obvious announcement that's uh, related to stuff we're interested in is that that Age of Sigmar Third Edition is coming with lots of new modifications to how the game plays. In the sense of like not the core mechanics, but like how you build your forces, command points, so that the game is more active when it's not even your turn. Yeah, reactive um, command points look really fun. And obviously we're getting a crusade-like format where you can start with a very small force and build up. I also like that in the core book from the spoilers seen elsewhere on the interwebs, um, there are suggested uh, battlefield sizes and everything. So like 750 points is supported. So that's Yeah, literally... no, this, this is all, it's all been confirmed now. Um, so yeah, they're doing a 750, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. So they're supporting the smaller games. And the, the Crusade thing that you mentioned is called Path to Glory in AOS. Yeah. And um, that, that leads you straight into a 750 game. You run your Path to Glory, end up with a 750-point army, and then you're going to build up from there. So it's, it's, cool. it just kind of really flows really, really nicely. Because 750 points is pretty much what you get in a start collecting box. Yeah, it's, it's not much. It's really no, it really isn't. It's not back in the days of uh, 8th, 7th and 8th edition where you end up with... 700 models on a the table. They've also nerfed horde armies by the looks of it by they've limiting not, how many. Yeah. They've, they've changed the way you do horde armies. Um, and I'm I'm iffy on that. Mm. Um, I need to see, need to understand how that kind of works on a larger scale. But I, yeah, they give you a certain number of kind of like command points in a way to, to bolster the number of models you can have in a unit. So yeah, it, it, it could very well nerf um horn armies but they've also nerfed conga lines which is really good so um and then the other thing i want to do a shout out for is the guys at the rookery so um they are some former former cubicle seven um writers developers so like andy law who used to be lead uh developer on i'm a fancy roleplay um and also Graham Davis, uh, who writes for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Uh, Hornrat is also one of the um, one of the directors for the company. So they're relatively new. So they're working on like uh, initially their first product they're putting out called Sea of Fools is like a um, rules agnostic scenario, and they're kind of working from that kind of perspective. So. Uh, that should be quite interesting. The artwork obviously is going to be uh, fantastic looking already because um, that's Mark Gibbons who's doing the art for that um, and uh, he's also part of the company. Um, 
So they they also do some uh, streaming of stuff. So the most recent streaming was like why um, why city settings are so fun for gaming. Uh, and there's a lot of heavy reference, obviously, to Warhammer because cities are so you know are characters in their own right within Warhammer Fantasy, and obviously a lot of reference to to vampire because again, vampire is so fixated on that. And you know when you consider the age of the guys behind that company, the fact that Graham Davis also wrote on Vampire the Masquerade, um, uh, you know these are both formative games in the terms of people's careers or in their hobby, you know, timeline and how that influences their current productions. So it was very interesting chatting to them about stuff and uh, on their stream, because obviously it's very similar for us. Um, right. I think that's everything. Is there anything else I've missed? Nope, that's it. Some fun stuff going on, though. Uh, right. We'll so the main segment... AOS. I think we need to look at AOS 3rd edition one day for, oh, yeah. for, for the ideas and the... Ex- changing of the story and stuff so oh yeah there's a lot going on with that we'll have to we'll have to talk about that for the rpg anyway so our main segment is genes of the cults so um content warning this is going to get squicky right i'm gonna start a little bit of this and then i'm gonna mostly hand over when i get a little bit bored um (laughs) not bored but like exhausted right so gene sealers are kind of um quite iconic actually i think in 40k um they've been around for a while but they really found their identity in um first edition space hulk um that's where they really got defined as a look because um, they do appear in Rogue Trader, Warhammer 40k First Edition, but they went through a bit of a, a bit of a um, bit of a change of the look, uh, and they really fit the 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 space space Hulk theme of you know horrible aliens invading a derelict massive ship ships in the case of a space Hulk and uh, Terminators having to clean them out. So what is a gene stealer? Well, obviously they're a Xenos race. I say race, species of a grander race. Um, and they were first originated, they believe they originated, the Imperium believe they originated on the moons of Jungal, or Umgal. Um, mostly pronounced that quite wrong. But anyway, and they were they were um, obviously found also throughout space, having by some means infiltrating other ships, space hulks, and also infiltrating populations. Um, they are geniuses are highly sneaky, intelligent, very dangerous, very powerful. They're they're um, you know capable of a lot of violence, uh, and they have a biological cycle which makes them a real threat to most humanoid races. And um, when you think the Imperium really doesn't like mutants caused by like you know the infiltration of chaos. Uh, what could be worse than the infiltration of genetic DNA, you know, genetic um, material from a Xenos race? Mm-hmm. So gene stealers, as I said, they have this this original kind of idea of where they came from. Uh, the Imperium had this idea they come from Yumgal, and that you know stupid people would have mostly landed there, and these creatures uh, secrete themselves onto the ships, go into hibernation, hide away quite easily, and then spread 
from planet to planet that way, obviously propagating their accursed genome through other races. But that then all changed with the First Tyrannic War. So the First Tyrannic War is when uh, High Fleet Behemoth, uh, you know, arrived into the uh, into the galaxy, and that's in seven four five M forty one to give you kind of a context with regard to contemporary forty k timelines, and of course amongst High Fleet Behemoth, they noticed there were gene stealers. And that made everyone just go, fuck. Because that then reveals that gene stealers are not some creature native to Yumgar. They're actually a vanguard force that arrived many centuries before uh, and have been a plague on the galaxy, preparing the way for the arrival of uh, the High Fleets. Now, there are other things that draw, you know, drew the High Fleets to our galaxy, uh, in particular... Uh, the Astronomicon, uh, but that's another discussion for another day. Um, so the biology then of uh, of gene stealers, they are six limbed. They're about marine sized, um, though maybe if they were stood up fully, you know, fully stood up properly, though they're more, you know, haunched over, you know, moving around, um, skulking around. Uh, they've got uh, digitra- uh, digigrade um, legs, you know, dog legs, double jointed. Um, they have then two more humanoid like arms. They actually have, you know, five, you know, digits on their um, on their hands, and they have two more arms that end in four digits. Though those digits are razor sharp claws, capable of slicing even through Terminator armor, which is a horrifying thought in its own. You've right. not actually also you've not actually put it in here, but those other. F- um, two arms that appear at the top can also just be stabby points. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There are, yeah, there are. Obviously, there are. Jesus can have varied, um, varied mutations. Um, so, for example, the young girl strain. Uh, they are a strain that it's fairly um, stable, even with their the way that genes breed. Um, it means even through breeding with getting their genetic material into other races, you still get Yungal pure strains uh, being produced. They have a lamprey-like mouth, or like, if you go by, you know, um, Rogue Trader, but that's been kind of retconned, so really what their mouth is more like is a is a whole host of tent- feeder tentacles, uh, which, again, is terrifying, very Cthulhu kind of elements to that. Uh, also kind of similar to the lictors that have feeder tentacles that they can like eat people's brains and learn their stuff. Um, gene cells also have rather bulbous heads, representing the fact they are highly intelligent. Uh, also mostly related to the fact that every gene stealer is a latent psychic um, because of how they can then further mutate, uh, potentially. They've got a hardened exoskeleton, equivalent to maybe flak or carapace armor. They're also uh, really hard to kill because they have redundant organs. Uh, They don't actually need to breathe an oxygen-rich atmosphere or any atmosphere because they can live in space quite happily. They don't have their their uh, their their. circulatory system is open so they don't have traditional blood vessels as we do uh they've got some hemolymphic lymphatic system that just floods the the organs that are there uh as i said they can hibernate for a long period of time so they can just like get themselves 
snuggled in on someone's ship and just go into stasis for a while until it's ready to hop out and invade and you know, infect a planet. Um, and then really the most important element of the geniuses, which makes them uh, terrifying, icky, and a threat to the Imperium in particular, I would say, and likely Eldari and the Tau and Orcs to an extent, is the fact that gene stealers have a proboscis uh, uh, located in the mouth, which is essentially it's their ovipositor, which allows them to do what's known as the gene stealer's kiss. So when a gene stealer lands, gets onto a planet, um, it will sneak around and infect someone, and it will deliver genetic material into the host. The host then is in in thrall with the gene stealer, and slowly, and I imagine that this is because the 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 biomass delivered is a retrovirus. You know, it's mostly just reverse transcriptase. Um, is rewriting the DNA so that when the host then, uh, you know, mates, breeds with more of their kin, that genetic material is then part of the offspring, which leads to a hybrid. These hybrids are part human, part gene sealer. They have between, generally in the first generation, five or six limbs. Some of these limbs look more humanoid, some of them look more gene sealer-like. They will have gene sealer like um they'll be haunched over their legs will be double jointed they will have razor sharp claws or they might have regular claws they might have um they might even have like lash whips growing from their hands though that's normally um metamorphs uh yeah so that's quite terrifying and then they breed with more humans or more of whatever the host race is or with more of their kin as well and then you get the next generation which have less signs of mutation so they're not going to have uh, not going to have the multiple limbs as much they'll be down to like you know only having generally three arms at most uh they'll still have the ridges on their brow they'll still have strange elongated bulbous heads but they're less gene stealer and then they'll breed that, and that's the third generation where is that they... third generation third gen. that... second, second gen is the one which allows them to speak and communicate oh yeah yeah okay and then then the next generation fourth gen is is where we get to hybrids that will look more or less human so the things that will be wrong with them will be they might have the the, the faintest element of ridges on their fore, on their brow um they won't have hair, uh, but they're not. They don't have bulbous heads, so they're more or less human-looking, and they can disguise themselves as human-looking, and that allows them, therefore, to infiltrate into, into I say human society, but it could also be Eldari society uh, easily. And well, where it then gets like squicky is when you then even more squicky is uh, where <laughs> you have have the offspring of them, and. They produce, they don't produce hybrids. They actually, uh, they, they sire a child who is a pure strain gene stealer. So it isn't a bundle of, of pink blubbery flesh, you know, with two arms, two legs, as we expect. No, it's a gene stealer. It's a small, tiny gene stealer that's going to grow mostly quite rapidly. And I imagine all hybrids mature quite rapidly. Um, and because we made notes about this, and I was I was curious 
curious about this. There's no, there's nothing which really states it, but these cults can last for hundreds of years. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing they actually probably just yeah, yeah. I believe that's the case. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an odd thing. They don't actually cover it. So, and then of course, um, the horror, the horrifying thing is that the parents of this gene stealer um, love it. Their their mind is so riddled and affected by the psychic resonance that's created by the cult. See it as just a regular baby of their race. So they're cooing Love over this the thing which has got chitinous, you know, chitinous armored exoskeleton, claws, uh, a mouthful of teeth, and uh yeah, it's yeah. uh horrifying. It's it is, so it is beautiful. But I mean, so so one of the things that's uh, a little contradictory in the text is that sometimes the uh it seems as though the pure strain gene stealers uh, born to a hybrid parent and a parent of the local species as well. And mm. even the parent of that local species, who's not part of the cult, who's not, hasn't yeah. had their DNA changed exactly, will also see this as just a, a beautiful, yeah. adorable... It, it's, there's, it's a very weird, weird thing that, and it kind of comes into something which we'll talk about later with their loyal, the loyalty, is they are connected and they are obsessed with the cult and the connections that they they have and that but nothing else matters uh, yeah and that's of course related to the progenitor of yep. the um of the cult you want to talk about that then david uh, well there's a the little bit before that um where yeah, we go for that. there are also so we've got the the, the hybrids and these are kind of like the main part of the genes to the cult force and, and yeah. who they are but they are also able to infect humans and not turn them into these hybrids, the aberrants or mutants out there. And, and these are known as brood brothers. And so these people actually do belong to the cult. They fully are uh, indoctrinated into it and they have that massive loyalty and uh, will do anything for the cult. Um, but because they are not mutants or aberrants or hybrids or whatever, they look human. They are pure human. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they they're, just they're carrying the curse. Yeah, and, and going straight. Yeah, so it's a genetic curse. It's called the Nexus, um, and these are very, very important within within the the cults. And I think we will cover that later um, when Mike goes on and talks about the, how we make a cult. Uh, so yeah, then the, the the progenitor gene stealer is the first one. is is the gene stealer who came across um, and and ended up in the planet somehow. Um, and over time, after they have created the cult and passed on their um, uh, gene seed, I suppose, a bit like space marines, uh, they begin to mutate um, and change from being this pure strain murder machine into kind of like, I'm going to say like a baby emperor of mankind in a way. They become a psychic hub for the cult. They become the the conduit between which the cult is able to to kind of communicate and get its orders and understand what's going on and things like that. They grow in size and they grow in great psychic ability. They become really, really, really powerful uh, as they also begin to lose their abilities to move because they become fat and lazy. Um, that's less so now. Oh, is that less so now? This is, isn't it? Yeah. That's um, classic. Patriots yeah. now are just very big and dangerous. Yeah. Um, if you've seen the models that come in, like what would have been Death Watch Overkill, uh, and you can now buy separately uh, a Patriot oh, also, model. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, I, I I will take that back about um, old school Warhammer. Well, uh, anyway. I mean that's that's a cool uh, thing to bring up, David, uh, because you can have the patriarch portrayed in different ways, yeah. right? You know, yeah. maybe this specific strain of gene stealer—that's what happens to them. They are just this bloated, nurgleish, uh, 
uh, guy, uh, gene stealer on the throne, which you know you, could be a pretty interesting that idea of like because its psychic powers grow, it no longer needs the use of its body, and its body can either grow or oh, yeah. wither, and you can have all that kind of concepts throwing into it as well. So, um, very X Men or Deviant, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> well, so we got uh, the gene stealer curse is uh, it's a retrovirus. So, I imagine it is well, <laughs> at most. Yeah, it's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, it does because it, it 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 it's a virus that changes the the genetic makeup of the creatures or and the species that it infects. So I'm guessing it's going to be something like that. Um, we've talked about the gestation period a little bit, um, and when we come to the Eldari. There's a little bit more in the gestation period there, so I'm not going to say anything on it now. As we, we said we, it could be quick, it could be long, it could be normal. Um, but when we talk about Eldari, we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, there are, as we've said with just then with the, the patriarch, so the the, um, the name for that progenitor gene, so there is the patriarch. Now, obviously, that, that name comes with connotations, but um, there are other mutations as well that are possible within... The, the generations and so you can get these things called aberrants which are absolutely humongous they're kind of like the the gene stealer version of an ogre i suppose yeah they are huge they are the brutish things which will pick up road signs and slap you around the face with a road sign because they're not that intelligent and they'll just use anything as a as a um as a weapon when you get to the fourth generation you end up um these humans will end up uh, developing psychic powers and you can get things called magus, who are um, kind of seen as the the cult leaders of the Brood Brothers in a way, because they are able to have psychic abilities and communicate um, clearly to the patriarch and things. So um, there are different levels of kind of these things, um, and the you can move up and down in the hierarchy of the cult depending on your your um mutations and aberrations and things like aberrants they're 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 not going to be high up in the cult but they're going to have a very specific place with a very specific job that you don't want to tell them not to do um and things like that so what we've talked about here is mostly we've talked about the genes you know, and then kind of kind of what they do to the society and what they do and then kind of broadening this idea of the cult and so what is a gene stealer cult? And I think we'll pass over to Mike now. What is actually the gene stealer cult? Yeah absolutely so uh, as we've kind of been describing, you know, the, uh, the basic physiology and exactly like the bio biology that's going on here, uh, the gene stealer cult starts with that one progenitor, the patriarch gene stealer, who's stowed away in a ship and hidden in a dark place, uh, forgotten for decades or maybe centuries. But, uh, eventually when they sense that it is time, either through some sort of like alien intellect or, uh, sensing the psychic woes of the local population, the gene stealer will begin to infect the DNA of the local species. And of course, anyone that's infected uh, is going to be beholden to the patriarch and uh, they will sexually reproduce and the, uh, the infected uh, will, will pass on that DNA and that infection to the children. Um, and this cult lies in wait in dark corners of society. Uh, some cults growing in the manufactorums or the more industrial parts of, uh, of a hive world, let's say. <clears throat> But others could actually start to grow in the upper echelons of society, in you know the bureaucracy or the uh, administratum of the planet. And this is uh, especially uh, easy once you start getting into you know the later generations of the um, 
the gene stealer cults because that third and fourth gen uh they look much more much closer to humans so it's a lot easier for them to operate in society whether they um just have like a, a strange skin tone which uh you know on a hive world that could just be you know just eczema or something or some kind of a industrial effect or, or pollution effect um third generations they can probably hide in cloaks and robes and the like and uh also societies that have a lot of mutations and abhumans um this really allows the uh, the cult to expand exponentially in its final years and you know the uh, easy way to identify the cultists however is that they all commonly have this kind of worm-like mark or branding on them which shows that they have that membership to the cult so that can be something that the uh, the inquisition looks for when they are uh uh, sus suspicious of a cult and, and looking around. <clears throat> so uh, while at first the cult organizes around the patriarch, as it grows, certain hybrids uh, take over duties and responsibilities of the uh, expanding faction. So uh, a pretty common one is to have a, a magus who is kind of a, a prophet for the cult or a prophet for the, the patriarch enacting their will. Um, and these are uh, gifted psychers of the cult who have lots of charisma and telepathic abilities, which can help control the hybrids and uh, the, uh, the brood brothers. Um, but they also have the ability to dominate the minds of their enemies, which is uh, particularly useful when the uprising finally comes. There's also the uh, sanctuses, which are uh, basically stealthy assassin hybrids who can appear pretty much almost anywhere. Um, you know, in the miniatures game, they feel like the old like Dark Elf assassins or the Skaven assassins from Warhammer Fantasy, so they're quite a bit of fun. Uh, finally, another interesting one that really stands out is the, uh, I believe this is pronounced Nexoses as opposed to Nexuses. Um, and they're pretty interesting. They're kind of like these, uh, they're connected to the Nexus of the Gene Stealer cult. And they're sort of like living data servers, uh, absorbing information from all of the organisms that are indoctrinated into the cult and uh, working as sort of strategic supercomputers, psychically relaying information and battle plans to all the hybrids. But uh, what holds these gene stealer cults together? It's really, it really comes down to faith and psychers. So the cultists are under the sway of the gene stealer patriarch and his... Uh, magi's psychic and liturgical influence um and this creates this rapturous cult that believes that they will ascend to some heaven when their uh, space gods arrive little do they know that these these saviors are an all-consuming leviathan cool yeah it's um the i think the cult is is really interesting in that they they have a long-term plan really I think that's what's really insidious about them. I think we often think of like, um, I think by comparison, chaos cults you know, flare up quite rapidly yeah. uh, once it reaches a critical mass. And I think gene stealer cults are maybe a little bit more careful because all, they they have a long term game, which is to really be, and we'll get to this, is really to reach critical mass so that they're of use right before a high fleet arrives. So. Yep. I think they're they're and also maybe maybe a gene stealer cult is actually even harder to detect than a chaos cult. Very much so. Very because because these guys are their 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 main goal is to still appear as part of normal society as you infiltrate it. Oh yeah, I mean they're, they're they and, much what chaos cultists should do, but don't. But don't. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's interesting. You know, the texts do bring up that uh, 
many of the brood brothers they they work harder than everyone else they they're almost like the uh the pinnacles of society and you know they're they're working really hard you know uh in the in the gun manufactorum just making tons of guns to help out the, the war effort well, little well, the does guys the, uh, are, are really good at building tunnels that are never used indeed little do the uh uh, Administratum realized that uh, there's really a cult going on, and some of those yeah. guns are making their way into the uh, stockpiles of the uh, the patriarch, or yeah, connecting to uh, some hidden den where the uh, the aberrants can attack from. Yeah, so that's 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 kind of the the main point. Is like as Chris was saying, it's like they they hide in the shadows and they wait. They're patient. Like the 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 high fleets that they're waiting for are millennia old. They they kind of do warp travel, but it's not quick. They're not moving at a quick space. So these cults, they, they sit there and they, they plot and they plan and get ready for this insurgency. Um, that they, 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 they're, It's their entire design. They're going to insert, they're going to rise up through, through the sewers and things and then take over the planet and prepare it to be munched by the great space caterpillar um, that's coming its way. So yeah, the brood, the brood brothers, as you say, they're, they're the ones who are preparing the planet for the uprising so it's kind of like a a multiple layer thing going on there the brood brothers preparing a planet for an insurgency the insurgency is preparing the planet to be munched so it's kind of you're seeing layers there um this unfortunately doesn't always go the way that the um the cult want so um the main drive of a cult is propagation they are looking to expand their numbers and so when you are expanding your numbers and trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger, hiding in the streets is not always, hiding in the shadows is not always going to work. Um, but they do, they do have a specific time and a specific plan of when things are going to happen. But obviously things can go wrong, like aberrants can wander off and suddenly you've got this massive fucking hulking great creature walking around the streets that you can't blame, can't say is, is a, a mutant, uh, and then suddenly the Inquisition comes down and goes, "Well, there's a worm on that. There's a tattooed worm on that, and then things go wrong." So, um, but then things can go wrong in other ways. The High Fleet might not arrive. Um, so there are examples that the High Fleet that they're preparing for disappears, or just decides, "Now I don't need that planet. I'm going somewhere else," or it's been delayed because of a war in another planet. And so the the cults up, uh, rise up, take over a planet, and suddenly they're in control of a planet. Uh, and then that's when things with the cults, uh, with the Imperium, get really, really iffy because they're like, oh, crap, um, we now have a planet to deal with. And then the planet still kind of, to some extent, behaves a bit like an Imperial planet. And they send off all the ships that are live on the planet and send out emissaries to other planets. So it's a really quick way to kind of spread it. And some of those are that some of those ships are actually go, right, where are these high fleets? Let's go find them. So even though they are looking to kind of... Um, rise up and prepare the planet for the high fleets things do go wrong sometimes and so that can kind of lead into some cool ideas for for games that we'll talk about later um so yeah there's connections there um i will do one more quick thing and then i'll leave the rest of the session up i think up to you guys and this is kind of so we've talked about this um a little bit so the cults can appear on any kind of imperial world so you there are they're on uh, angry worlds they're on hive worlds death worlds and each cult will adapt to its surroundings. So a hive world, they will work with the gangers. They, they, they are, if you, if you look at Necromunda, there are rules for, um, you see the cults within the game there. On the Agri world, 
they've got access to a lot of different biomass and a lot of different creatures in there and they can spread that way and then the creatures can rise up and attack as well um i didn't look at how they'd work on death planets death worlds uh, i suppose it kind of depends on what kind of death world it is if it's a forest one like uh, katachan but there's a lot of fun there that they can have um but they can also as we say infect other xenos species so um, the big ones that they can affect are the Eldari, the Orcs, the Crew, and the Tau. And these are kind of the main ones that you see in the game. Um, but things don't work quite as well with these as they do with humans. Humans are easy to manipulate, not that psychically active, but do have psychic abilities. There's a lot of them. Um, and there's a short gestation period. So the problem with the Eldari is Eldari have a very long gestation period. So this causes issues with kind of building the cult up quickly enough. Um, and um, the other issue is Eldari have very strong latent psychic abilities that are well-trained. And so they can sense the shadow and the warp that gene stealers and the Tyranids create. Mm. And this even comes down to specific individuals and not just the high fleet itself. So they can they can kind of detect when something's coming their way way before it actually arrives, so they can go shoot it and kill it before they get infected. Now, orcs would be an absolutely terrifying thought of crossing an orc with with a gene stealer. Absolutely terrifies me, gives me nightmares. And there were there were miniatures back in the day. There were, yeah. Um, oh. But I think there was. It's, it's pretty sure I there think was. in Rogue Trader era. Um, there were yeah. things like that. Um, but orcs, again, they have this kind of latent psychic ability. The, the, um, I can't remember what they're called, what it's called, but there's, there's this kind of latent psychicness within orcs themselves, the wag, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, they have a gestalt psychic ability. Yeah. And there are, this allows them to sense kind of a wrongness in the, in the infected orcs. And so orcs then tend to go, well, uh, you're not right. I'm going to beat you up because I'm an orc and you're not normal. And I don't like things that like that. And I just want to fight anyway. So orcs do that. Crute, again, they have the same kind of idea. They, they're able to sense a wrongness in, in an infected um, because Crute talk through pheromones a lot and communicate through pheromones. And uh, the infected smell funny. Um, they also have Crute shapers as well who are able to manipulate the evolutionary traits of the crude. And so these guys can pick it up as well. There have been cases of the Tau being connected to the cult. The problem with the Tau, though, is the, the baseline Tau, um, the casts, are psychically boring and dead and kind of just generally ignored. They, they don't appear within the warp and have no latent psychic abilities. The only difference here is the ethereals, the, the leader cast, the um, kind of, yeah, the leader cast, I suppose, is the best way to say it. Um, they are psychically active, um, but there's not many of them. And they, they, yeah, it's a bit hard for the cult to get their hands on them. So the, the, mm. the, the cult generally leave the tower alone because, well, they're a small, they're a small force anyway, um, and and they can't really do much with them because of their psychic inactivity or psychic nullness, I suppose, is the way they should say it. So, um, it's kind of it's it's really interesting looking at how how uh, the Genesia cults react to other species and why humans are so good to be turned and used as tools. Yeah, yeah, no, that's pretty interesting. Um, actually, so as you were talking about that, David, um, I wonder what would happen. So it's tough for the uh, crew to be infected uh, and have a cult form. Uh, it's not uh, tough for them to be infected. Stealer. It's not tough for them to be infected. It's easy to get them infected. 
It's just when they are infected, it's really easy to find them. Yeah, easy the to find. The shaper will notice. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. But the crute also gain traits when they consume the flesh of you know what yeah. they kill. So I wonder if that is the key right there. So they start eating the gene stealers that they just they just wrecked. And that is how the cult could form with the crew there. You could um, then end up, yeah, with a, a small tribe of crew that isn't um, separates from maybe the main armies or something, and then becomes, and you could get some fun stuff that way. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't have the patriarch though, so that would make it pretty weird. But I don't know. Yeah. There's a there's a story hook there, I'm sure. Yeah, I think cool. one, I, I think I put a note in when we were talking about how do we use these in the games, and I kind of used a similar idea with the Drukari. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh definitely. god. Yeah, and the Drakari happily even captured gene stealers for sport. Um, yeah, I know. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Nuts. Anyway, yeah. So, um, yeah. So gene stealers um, have a long history with the Imperium. Uh, I say long history. It has a history throughout the at least the forty-first millennium. How far back it goes is another question. Um, yeah, there might be things that have been lost since uh, the Horus Heresy. There might have been records then. I imagine there were only a few gene stealers maybe in the galaxy even then. But of course, the fact is, gene, you know, the the forces of the Tyranids were drawn by the um, by the Astronomicon. So the first apparent recorded engagement of Imperial Guard forces with uh, with gene stealers was on Gozar Quintus, a mining colony where an inquisitor discovered a corrupt imperial creed church or you know there was corruption of the imperial creed there he went along to investigate and then sent a strange missive saying everything's fine and then disappeared which is you know clearly uh -oh. signs that he got infected and then eventually you know forces arrived and uh the Death Watch arrived, and uh, the kill team discovered that the great, uh, the great pit, so you know, a mine, was filled with the cult of the four-armed emperor, and essentially had to obliterate the entire uh, population of that work of that of that mining colony. Mm. Uh, other fun historical events. This one relating to to the Eldar um, is relates to Craftworld Ulfway as they um, went to a space station called Delusion. And, uh, you know, they were there stalking through the corridors. Uh, they were there to, they went there to slay the cult of Tendricle uh, in the most thorough fashion ever, putting every human they find to the sword. So they went, obviously Ulfway have farseers, so they were directed by fate, by visions, to go and slay every single human, because obviously they were carrying the genes of the curse. Uh, the result is that the station sent a distress call and space rooms turned up of the Black Templars, so that wasn't helpful. Uh, and eventually, the last few survivors of the space station escaped, and apparently within a year, the symbols of the cult were seen on a dozen planets, including an Eldar maiden world. So uh -oh. some of those um, some of those Black Guardians did not leave uh, unchanged by mm -hmm. the Gene Stealers. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing is another example is a death world uh, called Morris 3. Again, uh, you know, Again, a, a challenge there where Castor jungle fighters were deployed to do hunt and kill on everything. But of course, it only takes one gene stealer to you know, not be found for the uh, for the for gene stealers to reemerge and begin population again. So that's just a few examples. 
Um, yeah. Genes those are really hard to get rid of. And of course, genes of the cults uh, even exist on like the hives of Necromunda as well. Um, uh, there's in fact an entire hive that got destroyed because of the gene slit infestation, and there's a specific cordon around that hive. So there's a trench, there's a trench system built up around that hive, and plantry, uh, and the you know the Necromundan um, uh, spiders, right? yeah, spiders, astromilitarum yep. platoon platoons are deployed to stop anything coming out of that hive. Yeah, they periodically um, bombarded, don't they? Yeah, it's pretty bleak. Um, oh, I like it. Very, very forty k there. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, I think I think I had some notes here about the uh, the the uh, Katachan jungle fighter one that you mentioned. Um, yeah, yeah. And the interesting thing about that, which I which I thought was pretty cool, is that uh, it was a uh, so a rogue trader's menagerie cl- uh, crashed yes. on the uh, Death World, and that menagerie contained a gene stealer, and basically, like, it escaped, and some of the some of the other like rare fauna from that menagerie and they all got infected by the gene stealer as well as like the local uh death world inhabitants the vicious you know creatures that live there as well so yeah the the unlucky katachan jungle fighters uh, were deployed there for training i believe and baptism <laughs> by, by fire as they had to fight off this uh wild gene stealer infestation so not not so much gene stealer cult there but still pretty pretty fun pretty brutal um yeah, uh, the the other thing um, we didn't say, we haven't said, is also the relationship with hive fleets uh, a bit more. Is that you know ultimately the the cult's main aim is to prepare a world for hive fleet invasion, and that's where shit gets kind of crazy because in the prelude to the hive fleet arriving, and a hive fleet arrival can take quite a long time once it's reached the. Uh, the local space of the system because of how they use gravimetric distortion to travel space rather than using the warp. Um, so once they're within the system, once they're near the system, you then start getting metamorphs turning up, no matter what the part of the cycle is of the breeding cycle of the gene silicon or that bit of the, you know, whoever's breeding with who. So metamorphs have much more vicious mutations and you know are just more powerful than say first generation uh hybrids but of course once hive fleets arrived it's party time for the cult as um you know they they're obviously already risen up to uh fight the local forces the hive fleet arrives and begins deploying its forces onto the planet and the tyranids so the whole host of god the whole host of what tyranid warriors hormigants termigants zone throps carnifex they ignore they they ignore the cult initially so they're basically so that for for that small period of time they're fighting side by side slaying the inhabitants and then once it's all over, once they've won, the cultists in their, not stupidness, but in the kind of the thrall that they have towards their patriarch and to genes of the cult, are almost like ready to embrace their brothers from who are star gods. And then they get torn apart by the, by the tyrannists and they get torn apart mm-hmm. by the pure strains of their cult. They are shredded. And there's there's a moment there's basically that moment where even even your first generation hybrid thinks ah shit this was a mistake <laughs> and yeah. and they are rendered into nothing. But then so are the t- Tyranids who do that. 
so it, it's a yeah, they all become soup for the, everything, for becomes the soup. everything becomes a soup for the uh for the um for the high fleet ships to feed and for the norn queens to take new genetic material to create new tyranids um yeah that's basically it of what gene slicolts are but how do we use them in our games so of course the most important thing is wrath and glory revised edition has excellent rules already for gene slicolts you have hybrids you have uh, you have rules for hybrids you have rules for of of various forms of neophytes i think as well um You've also that section is also there's a very, pure strain there as well, isn't there? There are pure strains. That section <laughs> is also really useful because it's not in the core rules of the weapons, but there is listed there the rules and stuff so you can use them for all the weapons that Gene Cults use, like you know the buzz the the um the buzzsaw cutter thing and like the um mining laser and like mm. other weaponry that they use, like um you know, the mining explosives. So that's yeah. useful if you want to run your your gang warfare and you go, huh, what's my gang my ganger? He's I'm I'm playing a game. Uh, I'm gonna I wanna have a nice special new weapon. Mining laser. That's good. Yeah. So use that section of the book in both ways. Yeah, um, you can also do the opposite. You can go, right, I need I need some brood brothers, so I'll just take this Imperial soldier, this this yeah know, yeah Leb, and oh no he's 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 now part of a GC cult yeah guardsman GC cult regular Imperial citizen GC cultist um, yeah I I think even chaos cultist rules you can mostly use some ideas from that and of course mm -hmm. the mutation rules to represent say things like metamorphs um, you could easily represent uh, the variety of mutations that occur uh, mm -hmm. an ogren um while that's not in the core book is in um is in forsaken systems guide you could use an ogren as a model for an aberrant yeah so that's all pretty good stuff but anyway like what's that's, one of the that's things rule, about... we're talking rules wise there what can we do as actual scenario wise uh mike what's the best yeah what would you go for Oof, uh, i have i have a lot of ideas um because really gene still cults They've been around in Warhammer for a long time, but they they're kind of uh, fertile. They're, they're virgin territory, you know. It hasn't really been touched that much until recently in the Warhammer universe. So, got a lot of ideas Seventh here. Ed, I think I think their first actual codex was seventh edition. So yeah. it's not that long ago. Yeah. Otherwise, you would have had to go to like Citadel Journal or something to uh, find yeah. an army list. Yeah. That would be about right. Citadel Journal yep. for second ed. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, first idea. This one's a little pedestrian here, but uh, the insurgent world. So gene stealer cults are, they're really tough to stamp out. Um, and let's say you've got a world which is far away from an invading high fleet. Um, and that world might have actually had to crush dozens of cult uprisings generations apart. And basically some of the new pure strains that were born, have they hide after a uh, uprising is crushed. And they start new cults in different parts of the uh, very complex society here. So, you know, it's just a world that you might visit where this has happened multiple times. It might be something that your, say, rogue traders, inquisitorial cabal, or someone else have to uh, have to watch out for. Um, yeah. And something I was thinking about with this, just an interesting side note, is that Gene Solo cults, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I think we all agreed that they rely on just normal reproduction, isn't sped up or anything. Uh, so normal reproduction with the uh, local species. So they actually have really big manpower issues um, in prolonged conflicts. Uh, as opposed to like the essentially limitless manpower of the Imperium. So these cults, when they rise up, they have to strike fast and try to overcome the local planetary defense force. 
or the uprising is probably going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's a fun basic kind of like setup to use. Yeah. Um if you like saying Auto Xenos Inquisitor or you'll say Death Watch that's sent in because there's been a gene stealer apparently is spotted. You can really start from you could also look at it from different tiers, that kind of game as you start with the initial kind of um sightings that then escalate and so you could look at how different parts of the imperium have to deal with that um mm-hmm. that'd be good fun yep. um yeah yeah you could you could have it as kind of a slow build campaign um through the tiers like the the new the new um scenario that they're, they're releasing kind of you start off with that lower level oh look these are just not these are brood brothers okay we can kill them uh, oh no, there's now neophytes and acolytes. Oh look, there's an aberrant. Oh my god, there's a load of preostrate crap. You can kind of you could have that slow build up with the tears quite nicely. You could also have it as planetary hopping as well, because yep. if you look at how say Eisenhorn has to plan- planet hop to deal with a cult and you know gets the first sense of cult activity because where's that shipment of las guns? Where did that go? And then discovers that it's not just las guns going missing. There's other munitions not turning up where they should be or maybe entire squads of of imperial guardsmen not turning up and you know that could easily look like any kind of cult activity going on or even just and i say cult activity could easily just be for any inquisitor could even be just a rogue uh planetary governor who's you know um keep who who's basically because i've been watching sharp recently uh who's been raising legions in paper only mm-hmm. um yep. which would be a very very imperial where's, administration where's the money going thing. follow the money oh my follow gosh and chris, chris this this you know segues beautifully to the next idea which is the cult bait and switch so chris <laughs> you use this very very well in the uh necromunda uh wrath and glory one shot that we did you know usually when there's a hint of cult activity in the warhammer world uh, Warhammer 40,000 world, players will assume that it's chaos worshippers, but as they get closer to the source, they're slowly going to realize that these mutations and cult precepts are, they're just too uniform for the ruinous powers. It's really a gene stealer cult. Always fun to throw those bait and switches into into any of the the, the Warhammer games, because everybody goes, oh, there's weird shit going on, there's mutations, it's definitely chaos. Oh no, shit, it's not. Oh, ah, now what do we do? It's it's so the, much fun to throw that into there. And the fact is, a clever, clever gene to the cult would mostly even use a a uh, more naive chaos cult that they're aware of as mm. cover for their activities. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's a great idea. One. It's like, oh, you're 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 off you're off destroying this stuff. Well, do a little bit of work over here while you're doing that. I'm sure I'm sure genes of the cult would find a corpse grinder cult quite useful at times or or hire them to do work for them that's even that would be really sinister um yeah okay cool um there's a lot there's a lot of stuff in that bait and switch i think that it is it's kind of what you'd expect with some of the gangs in necromunda but i think it's definitely definitely a cult thing that they could do um and then at the other end of the spectrum is the fact that um, you know, you've got the under society is e- easily infiltrated and and turned, um, but eventually the cult is going to want to get its uh, claws into someone more influential. So that gets you into the political games, and and the reason why we come back to this and about like you know, oh, it's a it's a it's a legion we've ri- we've raised in 
paper only and things like that is because that leads you into how a cult could be influencing the the noble house rivalry that occurs in a hive or across a sector um and again gets you into like well why did this ship not arrive in the sector where it was meant to go what was it carrying why is it gone missing and then you find it went to a different way station why did it go there and again that's for an inquisitor that's quite interesting for a rogue trader that's you know surprising uh you you could easily see even like a commissar a very i would say very um a very uh, zealous commissar trying to find out why did he not get the reinforcements he was expecting and finding out, well, it's because of this. And then pulling on the thread of a gene seller cult somewhere and leading I him to Danica go... Danica would be very, very angry. Oh, yeah. I could see her just coming face to face with some noble and, and going like, why are you a bit weird? Like, what is under the... There's something not right here in the fact that that noble has a third arm under their cloak. Something like that. So What's that tattoo? That's an unauthorised tattoo. So, yeah, I think you could definitely... You could actually really do quite fun political games. Um, yeah. I think you, you could learn, you could take a lot from what we know of, like, from Vampire the Masquerade with political games and apply it to dealing with cults uh, and genes of the cults uh, quite well. Uh, obviously, the other other route you can go, and we've already talked about the Death Watch, but you can also do it for Imperial Guardsmen. And then, obviously, the the great inspiration for that is going to come from um, the new game. What's the new game called? Uh, can't think of what it's called. What's the what's the uh, for, what's the Warhammer game with the Skaven in it? That's um, Vermintide. Oh, Dark Dark Tide. Dark Tide. Dark Tide. Yeah. So that you play like a, a kind of a fairly elite group of Astro Militarum. So you could easily do a survival horror scenario in a space hawk hives, mines, death world, whatever, uh, where they are sent in to flush out the enemy. So again, that would be high in the level of combat, but you would want to try and make use of the environment as the as as the antagonist as well and the puzzle to be solved. Um, I would I would look at it. You could quite easily combine this with the ideas behind the aliens RPG, and you could have yeah have yeah yeah going on in there. Like is 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 one of the is one of the the group an actual random is actually a member of the cult? Are, are they yeah yeah that would be great. That would be similar to the game obviously we ran uh, Mike where you're. Well, you weren't a member of a cult. You were just you call yourself driven mad already. Um, yeah. But it's the same I thing. Play Mike. Um, so that's good fun. Uh, other ideas then? Oh, sure. So um, one thing, actually, I was surprised this wasn't in the uh, any of the material I read. But what if there's an infected rogue trader family uh, that becomes a, a gene stealer cult? That would be terrifying. You know, they have an entire fleet of ships. They can spread their cult to many worlds. And, uh, you know, they have they have the paperwork to be going to all these places. I, I, and it would take a long time for them to be uh, discovered. That could that could work really well when you've got the idea of a, a high fleet failed to arrive at a planet. So therefore, the cult took over the planet and there was a there was a rogue trader there already. So they've mm. it, it does fit within within the stories and, and, and things yep. that we've seen. So. That would actually be terrifying seeing a, a rogue trader part of a cult. But then there are there are stories of uh, like rogue traders transporting all manner of things they shouldn't be. So yeah, I mean it's bad enough dealing with um, 
dealing with uh, what's the creature I'm trying to think of? Uh, ambles. They go from planet to planet, feeding mm. on stuff. Though they're not like the ambled you know, planets. Yeah, you're not dealing with uh, them eating your, you know, infecting your DNA. They're just eating energy. Um, what else have we got then? Non-human gene stealers. Uh, Mike, what have I done? Yeah, well, I mean, with? I think this is really, this is David's territory here. He knows a lot more about it than I do and uh, explained a lot of stuff about Tau gene stealers like, to yeah. me. So, David, where would you take this uh, sort of angle? So, I, I looked into this because you you wrote that you about Tau gene stealers. So I thought, actually, is, is that a thing? Um, and so we've already talked about that. But yeah, uh, the cult or the 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 nexus virus can infect anything anything alive anything that has biomass it can affect that so you could quite easily go to and i said i think i said this before i can't remember but you could quite easily go somewhere like the jungles of katachan and and have the plants there be infected with the nexus virus and you could have kind of weird alien um aberrant plants walking around and i now have the uh, what is it uh feed me um that stupid big plant what's it called from the movie uh with oh right yeah um venus flytrap yeah you can you can have things like that going on um but where i went with it and what i would kind of like to kind of maybe see at some point um and i think could be quite a really fun but very very dark game would be dealing with the drukari um so you'd have a drukari homunculi is playing around with some gene stealers that they've just happened to connect collect because they like to do this kind of stuff and and instead of kind of creating a new beastie thing that it did the gene that wasn't quite dead and it infected the homunculi and so the homunculi becomes part of the cult and because of the way homunculi work it can then spread the cult quite easily within the 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 cursed city or the dark city of um Komora. and you could then if you wanted to you could do a a Komora based game where you have the cabals of um, Kamara fighting against this cult and, and trying to stop it. So you could start to play Eldari and Drukari within Kamara as they're trying to weed out this insidious cult in a in a society that is very insidious in its in itself. Um, yeah, that's the pretty... that kind of changes shape on you as well. I think that could be. I said it's a dark game and it would require a lot of uh, things being dealt with uh, with the players and a lot of a lot of lines within it, but. I think that could be quite a really f- interesting way to deal with it. Um, as yep. we said before, Eldari, they're a little bit too... I think there's a little bit of an issue with whether they would actually get it, but we've got... There's there's there's, an, there's a case there from uh, the history that yeah. could be some guardians with it. Hey, man, yo, it's your game. You can do whatever you want. And if the players think it's cool, then awesome. It's, it's more kind of monk. the lines of people playing Drukari and what Drukari are, where you kind of have to have that conversation. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. We, we know they're mass murdering mm. something, but um, just, just, just be cool with it. Don't be, don't actually be these people. <clears throat> yeah. Homunculi are also yeah. not above actually, like, you know, taking the limbs off other species and grafting it onto other mm. people. They're like the Zemeshe of 40k, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, you could also they they'll be breeding genes anyway to want to because they want to get like the genetic like they want to get the organs. Like the witch cult so well would want would want them to fight in there. Yeah, to fight because yeah. they're uh, nuts. Was it yeah. gladiatorial combat? They'd want to do yeah. that. And and while we're talking about safety and that kind of stuff uh, with regard to yeah. uh, role playing games and gene stealers, um. Don't be squicky about this. Uh, you know, we, we do know that they, you know, these cults do grow through, you know, human, regular, perfectly normal uh, reproduction and that kind of stuff. Um, don't go into 
details about like i don't know breeding camps or anything really squicky mm. like that that's that's not necessary mm. um if it's something that you for some reason feel like really needs to be there uh don't don't go into detail cut to black um maybe just kind of maybe allude to it i don't even think that's really that great um likewise i would follow up on that is the fact that because obviously gene sealers in the way that they deliver genetic material into you to take over your body in us in essence that is robbing players of agency and is in let's let's be honest it is in effect a is much like obviously alien the xenomorphs uh you know it's the same thing it's that right that rape of the human body of your of what makes you human so i think um i would rule any player character that as long as the player is fine with their character being offed um would more than likely blow their brains out before um before carrying on uh being a host to the genes to the curse so again you need to have that conversation um so that everyone's happy at the table uh, their character is becoming a host or they're going to die in the process of being tried to become a host or something like that just make sure everyone's having fun i think if you're again coming back to the thing of like 40 wrath and glory because of the fact that the tears makes it quite fun to play at different levels so if you you can do that whole thing of like we're going to start the the campaign playing the imperial guardsmen that come across it or come across the the problem and then we'll carry on the rest of the campaign with our higher tier characters then in that case you know maybe you should feel that might empower you to play through that happening to your character giving you are only playing that character for that introductory part of the story much like in the start of x-files where you know a person gets offed and because that's the way you set up the scenario so yeah just be aware you want to make sure everyone has fun with these things that that's rob it. you of your agency yeah i think gene sealers and Drakari are kind of like the two ones which probably could call <laughs> biggest issues slanesh as well <laughs> yeah bit, but you're not you're bit. not going to go and play a slanesh character are you <laughs> uh, oh um, yeah, you know black, let's go play some black crusade sometime you know yeah um right so you guys at the end of the warhammer get uh fantasy uh (laughs) okay well we're gonna have to talk about that off off camera at some point and figure out what the heck actually happened to everyone but let's get back to uh, gene sealer cults because i got two last ideas right here so we have cult versus cult so frequently gene stealers travel to plants in small groups so what's to say that two patriarchs don't don't form like rival cults or something like that uh as your band of inquisitor acolytes begin searching rumors of heresy uh they'll actually find that there's two competing xenos cults so that could be a lot of yeah, fun right there that's very turned survival of the fittest i don't see why that would not happen mm-hmm. <laughs> walking yep. walk to the middle of that would be a great great amount of fun i think absolutely absolutely and the last one i've got is the cult refugees and this is a this is an interesting one it's a bit of a stretch and something to be careful with because uh it could get it could get a little cheesy but it could also be very serious and interesting so as Chris alluded to, uh, once the Hive fleets land and uh, they absorb the Patriarch's biomass, there's this brief moment where the cult's psychic link is kind of severed, and the, basically the veil is lifted for the hybrids and the uh, the infected, etc. So 99% of the time, these cultists die horribly, their limbs are torn up, uh, they become biomass soup, and they are absorbed into the, the Tyranid Hive fleet. But on occasion... 
maybe some of these cult members actually could escape on the last ship out of there. Um, so these cult refugees, they're going to be mentally fucked up. Uh, there's no way around that. Uh, they spent years in this, in this death cult uh, that has lied to them, and now they're uh, part Xenos with all of the uh, inquisitorial purging that entails. And they'll be on the run. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be on the run. Let's, let's, let's be real about this. Because anyone who escapes from a world with a cult insurgency is going to be suspect. And they're, they're probably branded. They've got a tattoo. Maybe they have some sort of like mutation or, or some kind of difference from the, uh, the human baseline. Uh, so it's going to be easy to find them out. Uh, so what's going to happen with these kinds of characters? Are they going to get absorbed into a new gene stealer cult? Would they be influenced by uh, a, a magus? Uh, or a, a patriarch on another world, or would they have some sort of insight that could actually be valuable? You know, maybe there's an uh, Ordo Xenos Inquisitor out there who actually wants uh, one of these uh, former cult members just to to study or or discuss things with. Maybe a rogue trader could find some kind of use for them. I don't know. It could be an interesting character concept or a good NPC. That's really yeah. That's a really interesting uh, idea. Yeah, like. I think that could be that could be really good, kind of like as a solo game. Like it's just the, the GM and one player, and you're just kind of taking mm. taking this this character as they're trying to do the survival horror thing. Um, <laughs> oh, well, they, actually, they... you could play the survival horror of just the cultist trying to kill the tyrannids after it all switches around. <laughs> <laughs> Can you get off the planet before it all goes wrong? Um, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, that would be pretty dark as well. Um, yeah, it does. That does bring up a question, like whether a a lone cultist, after their patriarch is dead and the rest of their cult is dead, what you know is the first when they you know are they is there still some biological instinct to breed? Does that lead to mm -hmm. them restarting a cult? Uh, Could be. Do they have some semblance of of their self again, away from it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's a question to them. It's it's yeah, it's a big yeah. question. It is a good question. I think the thing you just want to avoid with this is you don't want this to turn into like gene stealer cult good guys. They're going to fight the tyrannids or something like that. You oh, really yeah. want to just focus on the horror of no. this person being changed and realizing it. Um, yeah, the biological imperative, that could be something that they have to struggle against. Um, or maybe the Inquisitor that finds them might do a might do a snip-snip or something. I don't know. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, there could there, there's a lot of ways you could go with it. And I think this is something well, interesting. Yeah. It's not it, something I, just, I ever think I'd say in a, in a sentence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a pretty... Pretty bleak future for G well, it's a bleak future of cultists anyway. I think that I also would say, like, I think of recent years, I think the um, the miniatures range for them has been one of the strongest for 40k. Um, yeah. I feel yeah. like the miniatures range has more than likely been under lock and key for a long time until it was deemed right to bring them out. Well, uh, what, I, I do know a little bit about about um whether the, the miniature range with them and um they were specifically designed at the same time as the new ad mech were designed and they were specifically oh, cool. designed to be um same size and same shape as the ad mech so you could kit bash them nice. they were designed so you had this you had this wonderful looking army and they are a wonderful looking army but they were also designed to show that you go well, these are meant to come from any aspect of the Imperial Society. So let's make them have that ability. And so when we see the, the, the first come out, 
um, they came out in a box set without mech, they were designed so you could cut and swap them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do have a massive Genesis to Cult Army, which is fully kitbashed. So there's a lot of cool stuff for them. I mean, they're a really cool uh, net commander gang as well to have. Um, uh, uh, like uh, the rules for them are in the Book of Ruin, which has all the Chaos Cults and Corpse Grinders and has Genesis to the Cult. So one of the actual, I think one of the campaigns you can play is a Genesis to the Cult uprising in Necromunda. Um, <clears throat> so it changes how the cult uprising campaign operates, and they get some. If you're a genius of the cult, you get some cool things. And the great thing about that campaign is that I think if you loot, that your even even regular gangs can be perverted, can become genius of the cult gangs. So you know you basically become in the thrall of the cult. Um, so even in necromunda you get a lot of narrative fun with uh with genes of the cults but um yeah i mean it'd be really fun to obviously in person run some demos involving gene stealers and genes of the cults on um in uh the hives of i don't know hive Carib- caribbean would be uh fucking awesome uh, in wrath of glory cool. yeah ocean to- planet with 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 gene stealers be worse yeah they play on other planets and in, in, in other situations um we see, we see a lot of the hive stuff i want to know how they'd work on an ecclesiarchy world yeah um, yeah yeah um right well that's that's pretty much everything i think we've got some really good content ideas and overview for people wanting to run gene sealers in their campaigns of wrath and glory um Obviously, if you want to find out more information, you can uh, you can listen to Dark Hammer on www.darker-days.org. Uh, you can go over to our Facebook, Instagram at Darker Days Radio, Twitter. You can also find and carry on the conversation on our Discord. Uh, obviously, there are plenty of other gay horror games uh, talked about on the main show uh, and at some point I'm sure on Dread Cassette we're going to talk about like aliens in general, Xenos, you know yep. greys <laughs> and xenomorphs and, and other things uh, within horror and why they're particularly frightening in horror media mm-hmm. um, that's pretty much it for now I think nothing else to uh, sign off on I don't think nope that's it, uh, to all the listeners out there take it easy Yeah, we'll speak to you soon, so goodbye for now. Bye.